Are you annoyingly inattentive? Do you watch a movie and then ask a zillion questions because you weren't paying attention? Do people ask, how do you sleep at night? Then you should get a mattress from Mattress Firm. They can help anyone sleep. Get to Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and get a king bed for a queen price. Save up to $700 and get a free adjustable base with select Sealy mattresses, all with free and fast delivery. Get matched at Mattress Firm. Sleep at night. Restrictions apply. See store or website for details. Hi, this is Pod Save the UK. I'm Coco Khan. And I'm Nish Kumar. And this week we're taking you to the club. If we can find one open, that is. Yes, we're looking at the state of Britain's nightlife as clubs and music venues close at an alarming rate. Is the nighttime economy a priority for our politicians? Plus, are the men in suits ruining women's football? Spoiler alert, the answer, yes. Hi, Coco. Hi, Nish. Welcome back. I'm back in the studio after my uh, COVID exile. I know. It's hard having a retro illness. Yeah, it is hard. I, it was really, it was like having consumption. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. Uh, yeah. I'm testing negative. So I'm safe to be in a soundproof bunker with you again. <laughs> That's good because I do like circulating air. Do you know what I mean? That's important to me. It was really on my rider when I got this role. Air must circulate at all times. Um, how's your week? Do you know what? You know, I, I came back off honeymoon, didn't I, last yeah. week? And I am still finding it really hard to adapt. I've got terrible jet lag. I still wake up at four in the morning, just me and the foxes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm finding it quite hard to adjust back to Wait, London so you're still time. waking up at four in the morning yeah, every day? I still wake oh up at four God. in the morning. Oh my God. It's awful. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> oh, it's so hard to wake up early. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, it's very quiet. There's nothing going on at four in the morning. There's nothing on the TV. You yeah. have to tiptoe around because no one else is up. It's a very lonely, lonely moment. <laughs> <laughs> just you. It's just you and the foxes. That's <laughs> the it. The foxes, the only people around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, look. It feels like, in terms of the week's news, uh, we're back in, you know, what's no normally called in the UK the silly season uh, in terms of political news. Uh, it, it used to be known as that in newsrooms because traditionally during the summer when Parliament's in recess, not much is happening, people are on holiday. But the last few years, it, it's been absolute chaos, right? It's been absolute anarchy. Uh, on this day last year, soon-to-be Prime Minister Rishi Sunak had ruled out taking a role in soon-to-be Prime Minister and also soon-to-be ex-Prime Minister Liz Truss's cabinet. Two years ago, uh, Boris Johnson was scrambling to evacuate Afghanistan, while in 2020, Number 10 was dealing with COVID whilst wrestling with a Brexit trade deal. So there's always been some kind of shit show happening uh, in August in the last few years. Uh, and this year, uh, things have gone quiet. Not because anything has improved. <laughs> Things are still very bad for people living in this country. But it does seem as though politicians have thought, you know what, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if it is broke, still don't bother fixing it and fuck off to Disneyland. Are you familiar with the the very popular wellness programme of journaling? Are you aware of that? Yes, I am aware of the concept of journaling, yes. <laughs> okay, okay, and keeping a gratitude diary. Yes, yes, Well, I'm yes. just saying, you know, like, for our listeners, if you're looking for something, that it's not last year or the year before <laughs> on this day, it's maybe, you know, that's some material. Are you suggesting that the Conservative Party is going to adapt Tony Blair's 1997 <laughs> yeah. slogan of things can only get better uh, into things could have been considerably worse yeah. and also have been recently? Vote Tory. Listen, you know what? You're joking now, but I guarantee you that it's going to end up... You're manifesting. Oh, my God, you're doing it right now, babe. Well, I'm manifesting yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Tory, the next Tory party slogan. This is slogan. all part of the process. <laughs> you're doing it. You're doing well, it. It's either that or at the moment, seemingly, based on some of the rhetoric, coming off the Conservative Party, the next Tory election slogan is going to be vote for us or fuck off back to France. <laughs> and you know, there's going to be someone in an ad agency being like, look, babe, it's evergreen. It could be 2023. It could be 1704. It could be We still want most. We still want 
a lot of people who live in this country to fuck off to a different country. <laughs> Take your lace-making skills with you. <laughs> Very obscure joke. Um, but it, even though it's a little bit quiet in Westminster, there's no shortage of political drama on the other side of the Atlantic. The Republican presidential candidates are holding their first debate on Wednesday. Donald Trump, of course, is skipping it. He's expected to be arrested the following day on charges of attempting to overturn his 2020 election defeat in the state of Georgia. And if you want the best coverage on that, we have to recommend you to our sister podcast, Pod Save America. One name has dominated the news this week. Lucy Letby, the most prolific child serial killer in modern British history. The 33-year-old neonatal nurse was convicted of murdering seven babies and attempting to kill six more at the Countess of Chester Hospital between 2015 and 16. On Monday, she was sentenced to a whole life term, meaning she will never be released from prison. We may never know why she did it, but determining how she was able to commit such profoundly horrific crimes is now fundamental. We need answers for her victims and their families uh, to just ensure those lessons are learned and, and hold those to account who, who could have stopped Lucy Letby sooner. So the political fallout of this deeply shocking case has centred on two specific issues. Uh, Let me refuse to come to the court to be present for a sentencing, a final insult to her victims' families as they read out victim impact statements intended for her ears. <laughs> Back in December last year, in response to other high-profile cases, the then Justice Secretary Dominic Raab promised to change the law to force convicted criminals to attend sentencing, but so far nothing's happened on that. Labour leader Keir Starmer has told the government government to stop dragging their heels over the law change. And Rishi Sunak has now reaffirmed the government's commitment to do it. The second issue is the inquiry. Starmer has also joined victims and medical experts in calling on the government to upgrade the independent inquiry to a statutory one. That would give a judge the power to compel witnesses to attend and for evidence to be produced. Under that public pressure, the government is now saying a statutory inquiry is on the table. The problem here is I sometimes don't know what we're looking for from our political leaders in this uh, in this kind of moment. I just think with this, there isn't really a value in just jumping in with an opinion. And listen, I, I know that we do a show that is all about us just offering up our opinions. And in this specific instance, it feels like a strange thing to say, but actually I think people need to wait and let the inquiries do their work. The government has reassured the public that they have the capacity to upgrade that independent inquiry to a statutory one, which, as you say, would give the judges power to compel witnesses to attend and evidence be produced, which is which is really important. The crucial thing here is we need to establish what people knew about mm. what Lucy Letby was doing what concerns were raised and why those concerns weren't acted upon much more quickly. In a moment like this, it feels like what everybody desperately wants is a quick solution. Yes. But it's the boring hard work and the detail and the investigation and then the holding of people responsible to be accountable for their actions or inactions that is really going to matter here. And so... I just feel like there's there's no value in sound bites. Absolutely. And actually, like there's I think there's probably many examples where people, politicians, sorry, are, are quick to give a response because they want to be part of the news agenda and they want to be seen to be saying something. This is an act so unfathomably evil that it sort of it makes you afraid of being a human being. Right. Because the capacity of somebody to do this, it makes you afraid of what we as people are capable of. And so I think there's a part of, there's certainly a part of me that wants somebody to say, don't worry, we are going to make sure that nothing like this can ever happen again. Saying that, you can't just magic that and make, mm. you can't just will it into existence by saying it. I understand the impulse of people to want a quick fix. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, Something like this, you know, in a way you can understand greed. You can you can yeah. understand like someone's desire for power. You can understand these things. What on earth was yeah, this? Yeah. This is why it's, 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 it cuts you in a completely different way. So I understand that the leaders need to be seen to be doing something. But the question is, 
you know, is what they're doing the right thing? Is it done in haste? And also, please don't let it be the only thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's got to be more. We hope to keep saying it. And hopefully if other people can also keep saying things, then, then it will push our politicians to keep looking at this over the longer term. So this week should have been a fantastic one to celebrate women's football. And the World Cup did throw up loads of potential heroes of the week, but it also threw up plenty of contenders for villain of the week. Because whilst the women were on the pitch delivering thrills and drama, they were let down by the men in suits. The biggest problem in football remains all of the men in suits that run football. So it's uh, no surprise to hear that our villain of the week is Luis Rubiales, the president of the Spanish Football Federation. He kissed Spanish player Jenny Hermoso full on the lips as she lined up to receive her winner's medal. Creepy or what? I didn't like it, is what Hermoso said. Uh, She posted that on Instagram immediately afterwards. Spain's Equalities Minister Irene Montero said it's a form of sexual violence that women suffer on a daily basis. And then having done that, he even somehow managed to completely balls up apologising. He firstly told a Spanish broadcaster that it was a kiss between two friends celebrating something and that those who saw it differently were idiots and stupid people. And then he went on to add, let's ignore them and enjoy the good things. After criticism on social media and from some Spanish politicians, he backtracked. And by Monday, he said, I was completely wrong. I have to admit it. So let's hear him, shall we? Estamos ante un hecho histórico, uno de los días más felices del fútbol español. Just to explain what's going on there, he he basically does that classic thing of apologising, but kind of not apologising. There's a lot of shrugging. He looks baffled by what he calls the commotion. He says it seemed normal to him and the player and says that if anyone has been damaged by this, I apologise. You know, I have to apologise. But there's more. There's also footage of him grabbing his genitals and thrusting his groin at the celebrations. And he is quite close to the Queen of Spain and her teenage daughter at the time, which is obviously somehow makes something already bad even worse. I cannot believe that that celebration of grabbing one's genitals is still around. Like when I saw the clip of it, I've recently been re-watching The Office, the British Office, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And there's a character David Brent's got a mate called Chris Finch. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course I know. Exactly. Yeah. And the Chris Finch energy coming yeah. off. Was- Pure Chris Finch energy. <laughs> so Chris Finch. Funny. For American listeners, Todd Packer. In right. the American version, the character is Todd Packer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very much an absolute Finch Packer energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just to give you a bit more information about this clown, he's a 45-year-old former player. Uh, He's had something of a journeyman career as a defender. He once played three games for Hamilton Academical in Scotland. His Wikipedia page says he was not known for being a very skilled player, but he was tenacious. His nickname was Pundanor, which means pride. He uh, may need to think of a new nickname, although I'm thinking maybe Finchy might be the one we could start. <laughs> I mean, the men's game at this point just sort of feels intrinsically and institutionally corrupted. And the Women's World Cup was such a triumph for the sport. You know, mm-hmm. the uh, attendances at the games were sort of record highs. Record numbers of people watch the games uh, on television. You know, I'm an England football fan. It was a disappointing result. Course, yeah. uh, the Lionesses had a great run in the tournament. Mm. So many great performances. A really strong winning team. Really strong performance in the final. But again, p- people like Gianni Infantino, who I-, I cannot believe he's still allowed near football. Like, I don't understand. I, I don't know what surgical procedure we need <laughs> to extract this man from football. But he's he's the FIFA president and relentless gaff machine. Right. right. Uh, he uh, he doesn't technically qualify for villain of the week because his remarks happened last week. But we simply cannot let them pass. This is what he said. I say to all the women that you have the power to change. Pick the right battles, pick the right fights. You have the power to change. You have the power to convince us men what we have to do and what we don't have to do. You do it, just do it. With me, with FIFA, you will find open doors. Just push the doors. They are open. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. What was going on there? 
I mean, oh God, it's for all the other feminists listening, can you believe it? We just needed to ask. It turns out all those women, women's rights that we have had to fight tooth and claw for, oh, we just needed to ask. The doors were already open. Oh God, if you, only we knew. Thank you, you so much, Gianni Infantino. You have to remember that this man is the Martin Luther King of talking absolute bollocks. <laughs> like, he is right in terms of we should push the door, but the thing we should be pushing the door to do is to grab him by the scruff of the neck and throw him back out of the door. <laughs> He's a man who works in professional football. Why has no one thought of slide tackling this motherfucker? <laughs> like, just going hard on him. He's he, 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 FIFA is institutionally one of the most corrupt organisations in the world. Like, it's astonished. Anyway... He's a deeply unpleasant man. Mm-hmm. It is funny how, like, yeah, women's football, and here we are talking about all the stupid men. Yeah, it's it's terrible, which is a shame because there's so many uh, women to celebrate from the tournament as a whole, specifically in the final. Massive, massive shout out to Mary Earps yeah. for saving the penalty and providing... One of the greatest pieces of televised swearing. <laughs> Say what you will about the lionesses. Every year, every year they provide the, in the Euros final. It was Jill Scott. This time, the close up on Mary Earps as she screams "fuck off" <laughs> to someone we don't know. Well, I think it's it, not I even it was clear. To everyone. I think it was just to everyone, like the audience. It's not even clear. She saves a penalty. You know, as a goalkeeper, saving a penalty in a World yeah. Cup final is like. I mean, that's pretty much. That's as as good as it gets. That's yeah. as big as it gets for a goalkeeper. And she uh, had won the Golden Gloves prize for being the tournament's best keeper. You know, she's widely regarded as being Mary one of the Queen best of goalkeepers stops, in the world. Right? That's Mary Queen of Stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She saves the penalty. The camera, <laughs> uh, and I mean, I can only assume because of where the final was held, it was an Australian camera crew who have a deep, and Australia <laughs> as a nation has a deep appreciation for the art of obscenity. And I can only assume it was an Australian uh, television director who encouraged the camera person to punch in <laughs> on Mary Earp's face as she detonated the mother of all F-bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right into the camera. Uh, but yeah, uh, she was uh, uh, she was excellent and exceptional throughout and did keep England in, uh, in the game. Um, it, gutting that the Lionesses didn't win, but congratulations to Spain and England will come again. You know, there's a huge amount of young talent in that team. Well, on that note, uh, coming up next, we'll be saving the UK's nightlife with guest club promoter Hannah Shogbola and DJ from Girls Don't Sink, Gaia Ahuja. The New York Times calls BritBox the best of British telly. Stream acclaimed original series, including Payback, starring Peter Mullen, Stonehouse, starring Matthew McFadden, and Archie, the man who became Cary Grant, starring Jason Isaacs. Plus, discover powerful new series like Three Little Birds and the return of BAFTA-winning drama Time, starring Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, and Jodie Whittaker. Stream the best of British TV only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. Here on Pod Save the UK, we like to have a good time. Yes, and regular listeners will know Coco to be one of the UK's most prominent ravers. By prominent, he means ageing. But anyway, I was very sad to hear that the number of nightclubs in the UK has slumped to a record low, with more than 100 closing in the last year alone. 54% of major towns and cities have seen a decline in their nightlife. Back in 2021, MPs warned the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson that we faced an extinction event for nightlife and I'm very sad to say it might well be here. It's sad for any of us that had formative years in clubs, myself included. You know, what even is coming of age if you're not using a fake ID to go to a club you're really not allowed? We do not condone this behaviour. Yeah, this none of this behaviour is condoned. Yeah, you know, <laughs> dancing like no one's watching. Maybe you even met your life partner there. I actually did uh, met my husband in the smoking area of a club night. So there we go. But nonetheless, music is important to the UK. It's really important to marginalised communities to share together, to commune. And it's also just really good vibes. So... Um, we're a bit sad about it and today we're going to solve it. Well, and also it's a massive part of the British economy. Like it, it actually has 
really meaningful impact. It's estimated that the nighttime economy, which it covers everything that's any businesses that are active between 6pm and 6am, I am technically a part of the nighttime economy as yes. a stand-up comedian, which I, I don't think anyone associates me with raving. <laughs> like that, like I think that that's like... But you love live music. I love live music. That's all in I'm the I'm a stand-up night. comedian. Yep. And also I'm a huge contributor to the late-night kebab economy <laughs> of the United Kingdom. Like I'm a stalwart of the British kebab industry. So, like, it, it, but in, in monetary terms, it's reckoned for every £10 that is spent uh, per seat inside a venue, another £17 is spent outside of it. And it's estimated to be worth £93.7 billion pounds to the British economy. And... In a moment where our economy is not as strong as it once was, we we don't, you know, we don't manufacture anything apart from racism, but we don't <laughs> manufacture anything of value. It seems like a strange thing to not support something that has a real, genuine, meaningful economic impact uh, in the country. Uh, the sector is struggling to recover from uh, a combination of the pandemic followed by the cost of living crisis, which has pus- pushed up venue costs and also affected the amount people are actually able to go out and how much we spend when we do go out. So, you know, as we were talking about earlier, it's not just nightclubs that are closing their doors. It's live gig venues too. And listen, you know, I'm a little raver, but we're talking about jazz as well. We're talking about even classical music, all kinds of uh, audio expression fall into nightlife economy. And the Music Venue Trust warned that 2023 will inevitably be the worst year for venue closures since the body was created in 2014. The Nighttime Industries Association has said that the government has failed to consider the threats to the nighttime economy and is calling for targeted help in the autumn statement. That includes uh, VAT help, energy, labour shortages and visas for live acts. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult and complicated picture, and you know there is there is political, social, and economic value uh, to considering a conversation uh, about the nightlife. So, in order to work out how much trouble uh, our clubs and venues are in, and perhaps suggest some things we could do about it, we are thrilled to be joined by two guests today. We're joined by Hannah Chogbola, one of the only female black agents in the UK, and a fixture. Of the club. It says a fixture of the club circuit. Wow. Across London. <laughs> better live up to that then. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and we're joined by uh, Gaia Huja from Girls Don't Sink, a female DJ collective who play at some of the top clubs across the UK and Europe. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So guys, let's just get straight in here. What's happening in the nighttime economy? You know, we talked about venue closing there, but is that the full story? How hard is it to put on a club night, for example? I think like, you know, first and foremost, it is a tremendously difficult time currently for the nightlife culture. I think that we have had to face some hugely impactful changes since lockdown. I think the simplistic way to start this conversation is to look at the damaging impact that lockdown had, particularly on the live music space. You know, we couldn't put on shows. We couldn't go out to shows. Even after the kind of restrictions happened after COVID, we were still put under tremendous pressure to, you know, not be able to put on even nightclubs in particular. We're hugely damaged. We couldn't have more than I think it was like, don't quote me on this, but 200 people inside a space, you know, you had to go through all the leaps and jumps of taking COVID tests, making sure that you were able to go inside a club. When you put all of those things into that situation, it's just so damaging because particularly, you know, this these are spaces created for people to go to feel free, to not feel trapped. Mm. Just like you were saying about how you met your husband in smoking. I love that point. So I just had to bring it back up because, you know, it's particularly a nightclub environment in the electronic music space. You know, this also came from a black queer community. It's like, this is where we need to go to feel free. So... The impacts that we had post-COVID were, for me, the first point of the kind of downfall. I think post that, when we look at the current situation, you know, inflation, we're all stripping back, I think. It costs a lot of money to go out, you know, especially in London. And that has resulted in, you know, the economy and the money's flowing through being heavily damaged. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, you're talking about like the stems and the foundations. But I think even if we look at now, like in the height of summer, like we're in festival season. um, And, you know, if I wasn't working and DJing, I would be saving up to be going to a festival. And I think particularly in my friendship group alone, they're not, you know, they're not really investing in um, going to the nights out in London. And actually a lot of my friends that are putting on their own nights, particularly in London, they're really, really struggling because they've got a battle with 
um, festivals or holidays. And I think at the moment, people are saving up and they're prioritising going to the festivals within like the height of summer rather than like, you know, supporting club nights or, you know, going to one-off events here and there throughout the summer. And I just think it's really, really hard, particularly like in this season, to put on an event, um, you know, to ensure that people come to sell the tickets. Um, and I think in London as well, like you've just got such a melting pot of so many different nights, particularly like around this time, this weekend alone, I can't imagine how many events and like competition <laughs> there's going to be like around big bank holidays and in summer in general. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's really taking a hit on, you know, smaller independent venues and like club collectives and promoters as well. And that's, be- and that's because people are being, because of the pressures of mm-hmm. cost of living, people are now, it's it's a question of whittling down what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And it starts to become, instead of I'm going to do this and this, it's I'm going to do this or this. So I'm either going to go to four club nights in London or Manchester or, or Edinburgh or wherever, or I'm going to go to one massive festival. 100%. And so it, that's a kind of, that's a, a consequence of the wider economic picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing about culture is that uh, like it's a muscle and if you don't use it then it can kind of wither away and whether that's like you know we're talking about club nights and and things like that but it could also be going to art galleries it could also be museums theatre all of those things have you felt that the numbers irrespective of the kind of cost of living uh, aspect of it I do appreciate that obviously helps it but I'm just curious you know did people's habits wither away when they couldn't start going to clubs as they used to in the pandemic? Oh, 100%. We were just speaking about this before we came on and just talking about even our personal tastes when it comes to how we're embracing nightlife culture post-pandemic. And I think what we found, particularly on the live booking side, is that people aren't out until seven or eight in the morning anymore as much as they were previously. There's also become a habit of how people want to absorb live music, Mm -hmm. for example, or electronic DJs. With that, you can see, you know, people like Annie Mac doing the before, what's it called? Like before Before midnight midnight rave, which is obviously hitting a target audience, which is predominantly mothers, particularly people of her age. And that's actually been really well received because I don't think people want to be out as much. We were also having this discussion actually in work um, about a year ago. I don't know if anybody remembers like weirdly like years and years ago, there's like a punk era where actually a lot of that community and that kind of age group, they were quite straight laced and they didn't really want to go out until like, you know, stupid o'clock. And what we found is actually like the habits of even like, um, like consuming things like alcohol and so on and so forth at nightclubs isn't actually as high depending on what genre of music they're going out on. But all of these things have resulted in us having to adapt the way that we put on shows. You know, for example, there was a point just after lockdown where I work with a lot of electronic DJs and actually a lot of them are crossing over into the food space and doing like supper clubs, but with music, because you can do that in a more reasonable hour of like seven till 10. And we can do that in spaces. Even I did one with Helena Starr at the ICA, which previously would probably never think to do something there. But we did because we knew that people were... (laughs) more likely to come out to that particular event than they would be maybe if we'd put on a club show. Now, you know, there is still communities that definitely are coming out later and still doing the things that we have done previously, but traditional habits, just to round it up, I think definitely have changed. Changing tastes are great. Mm -hmm. And if we can adapt to a modern world where people are drinking less and they want to be out in the day and they want to get their eight hours sleep, Mm -hmm. all power to it. But... It cannot just be that we just need to adapt the industry to survive because we are seeing clubs closing in their droves. Again, Mm. that extinction event. So I guess one of the questions I'm, one of the things we want to get to is, you know, what is the problems that, for example, politicians should be fixing? So I'll I'll kick it off. Noise, noise complaints. (laughs) Oh, loads. Oh my gosh. Have you felt this has become more of a problem then that residents complain? Festivals have been have been actually pulled because of local complaints. Quite a few. Even just like smaller festivals as well that we've been, we've even been on the lineups of like they've been pulled for like, you know, noise complaints or local reasons. Even one of my local parks, like it just got got pulled, had to get Mm. pulled. The restrictions and and the kind of conversation around licensing is is complex Mm -hmm. and it definitely has a huge impact on why there is a lack of not just festivals but also nightclubs that are able to remain open you know I know for a fact XOY had loads of problems can I even name clubs (laughs) but you know XOY had a tremendous amount of problems with neighbours complaining same thing with Fabric and you look at these institutions and obviously I'm very biased with Fabric because I used to work for them but they had to go against like 
jump through hoops, so to speak, to remain open. And I just think there is a distinct lack of support from our government. Number one, like without a doubt, again, me and Guy were speaking before, when you look at European countries such as Germany, the Netherlands, and particularly cities like Amsterdam and Berlin, that during the lockdown and post-lockdown, they gave a tremendous amount of support to mm. their communities, whether that be through money, whether that be through appointing um, nighttime mayors, which obviously I believe the UK did for a certain point. We did some work with her. That kind of work kind of didn't. I just definitely feel like that isn't enough being done because also like we we're speaking about originally, like a lot of these, a lot of nightlife culture, you know, it doesn't just support marginalised communities, it supports everybody, but it also comes from a place quite often for marginalised communities. And I think like... It just feels really disappointing that we're not being supported enough. And I agree as well. I think culture in terms of, you know, through our government's lens, I think it's now become attached to class and, you know, culture is going to the museum and going to the theatre and, you know, and there's so much to support, you know, those institutions. And I just think what Hannah was saying as well, like when you look at the club and, you know, you know, from the, again, from a government lens, it's, it's people drinking, it's, it's young people. I also want to like, just say as well, like, I really believe in going to that recent event that I was talking about um, just before off air. Um, I, I believe that club culture can transcend Air, like gen- like generations. My mum is begging me for guest lists to so many of these festivals. And like, I've just gone to an event recently that there were like grown, like grown men there, young people there. And I think that, yeah, putting, putting a cap on it and like aiming it at the younger generation, I think is false because I really do believe that as cheap, like it does sound naff, but like, you know, there's no age limit to having fun. You know, if you want to, like, there isn't. Do you know, I, I have so I found it quite sad hearing you talk there when you were like, oh, you know, the government, like, care more about museums than they mm. care about us. I mean, I don't think the government care about museums, personally. Yeah, I don't yeah. think they care about the arts at all. Mm-hmm, I think they're mm-hmm. awful on these things. But this is what has happened. Mm-hmm. All of us who are interested in culture in some way, you start having this, like, and this is what they do. This is their classic tactic. It's like, let's all fight over crumbs mm-hmm. when there's plenty of pie to be had. Do you know what I mean? I think it's very, very but sad. also, it's a strange thing to not support. Mm-hmm. And th- these are figures that come from an all-pie parliamentary group that was founded uh, to investigate the sort of impacts of the nighttime economy uh, and in 2021. And they found that it supports 1.3 million jobs in this country. So again, we are talking about an important employer and, you know, something that makes a real economic contribution. And I, I do want to come back to solutions in a second, but I just briefly want to return to this idea about noise complaints and the root of that, because I also think that is something incredibly significant politically about what gentrification does to our cities. And the night and day cafe in Manchester is an absolutely hugely significant, iconic music venue. Now that part of Manchester in the Northern Quarter Mm. has been subject to a huge amount of gentrification in the last decade, decade and a half. Like it's changed so much in the years that I've just been going back and forth there and doing gigs around there. But it's, it's, they're still in the process of dealing with uh, a noise complaint from people that were living near the night and day cafe. Now, the problem with these kind of areas is that they become fashionable. And Fabric's another classic example. The area around Fabric and that sort of Farringdon, Clerkenwell area is an area that at points had been quite run down. So obviously then artists, musicians, Mm -hmm. the sort of, you know... (laughs) The, the, the nighttime people <laughs> arrive and then it becomes like it, uh, because of the work that the nighttime people do it becomes like a trendy area to yeah. be in I'm from the Brixton growing up and telling people that I was from Brixton would be like oh and now it's like oh my god Brixton yeah, yeah. I'm from Brixton like oh it's my wild. god like it's crazy like and I think it's it, yeah it's attaching it's attaching these like places and these things and like these nighttime people and i think i agree with what you're saying about the museums and the theaters you know not being it's not that i don't think they're I, I do agree that they're not supported, but I think they're way more respected. Like you go to drama right, school. Right, right, right. You know, right. Yeah. it's more of like an edu- like an educational route. So there's more recognition and respect from the government, whereas the nighttime people are yeah. not so not but, so respectable. But, it's oh. just it happens accidentally. And I think that's probably why it's not recognized. But you're right, it's not recognized or respected. Yeah. But then in a way, I would be happy if they left us in our own filth and degeneracy. <laughs> like, I would genuinely be happy. Fine. If you if, if we're not coming from bits of the arts or culture that you respect, then leave us alone. But the problem is that you you have a night and day cafe, you have fabric, these areas become trendy, and then they build luxury flats in them. 
and that that's that's where the noise complaints are, are coming from in places like the Northern Quarter. That's where noise complaints around fabric came from. They came from luxury property developments. They often build luxury flats in areas that have become desirable. An area like basically, my message to all of this is: if you're a stockbroker, get the fuck out of Brixton. <laughs> Agrees. So, just continuing on this uh, this this topic of noise complaints. What do you guys think could be a solution for this? My answer would be, I think that there just needs to be way more protection for a lot of what I regard as institutions, even if it is a small restaurant or it's a, a nightclub. These are pillars within our communities that need to exist and they need to thrive. And I feel that when there are, when there, there is so many issues surrounding, you know, big flat complexes coming in and being built up in these areas, we need to be protected, I mm-hmm. think. And I don't have the right language to put that in place because I'm not a lawyer. Um, but I definitely, I just feel like that is the biggest answer. Mm-hmm. Sounds simplistic, but it, you know, no, it's no, true. Because it's otherwise, like if, you know, if you think from the other side of people, if there's only a certain amount of people that complain, it's like, I don't know, I just think that there needs to be also, protection. Also, the people that complain are the stockbroker like yeah. because they yeah. like what you're saying they have the means and the language and the access yeah. to be able to do so Germany's actually declared nightclubs to be cultural institutions so in yeah. Berlin a club like Bergheim mm. as now the the government voted in 2021 to give nightclubs the same status as yeah. museums and art. But you know, but you know this is so important because also let's rewind to the fact of what we're talking about of how much money yeah. nightlife brings in. So it's mm. just such a backwards way of thinking when we're having to go through all these restrictions and not being cared for when this is something that puts mm-hmm. so much money into our economy. Like what? Absolutely. It's just Again, backwards. Berlin has also invested £900,000 in soundproofing for Bergheim. And that's government money that's going in because, again, they recognise that the £900,000 investment, you know... They'll earn it back in one night. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even joking. I I paid for drinks the other week. (laughs) 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 And it's cash only. It's so true, though. Like, even when we play in Europe, like, it's so plush. We just played in Belgium. I sent a video to my mum, like, what the hell? It's like, it's so developed, like, from everything, even just from, like, the structure of the festival, just to, like, the nature of the people. Like, everything is just so... I don't know how to explain it. I guess they're being nurtured by their... You know their their culture. Mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. I mean, like we've had in the UK twelve culture secretaries in thirteen years. I'm not sure any of them gave a shit about nightlife anyway. But mm-hmm. I mean, even just that. You that, think Nadine Dorries didn't care? <laughs> Nadine Dorries, the most uh, Liverpool's most famous daughter, yeah. doesn't care about nightlife <laughs> in Liverpool. No, but I think you're right. If anybody though. has seen Nadine Dorries, uh, <laughs> do email in the show. We're a bit worried about her whereabouts. Sorry. No, but I think you're right. This is about what you're saying. It's about how they are received within their country, how they mm. are supported by the governments. By having that and enabling that removes the sort of like pitting against each other. You know, the stress that UK promoters are under is phenomenal. You know, often you have agents that are against promoters, which is something that I strongly fight against. We all work together and it's so important that we support our local promoters. Unfortunately, they have so much to jump through when it comes to delivering a safe, well-organised event. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, even when you look at the hassles that we had post-COVID, which is still happening to this day, access to the right, even fencing, Harris fencing at festivals, was so limited because of how we can't get it over here. You know, that goes hand in hand with security. You know, you can't legally put on an event unless you have access to police, to ambulance crews. That is something that we have to be acutely aware of because when you don't have access to those things or local um, councils are restricting promoters Mm. from those things, Mm -hmm. that results in cancellation of shows or shows being done in a lot less, I don't know, capacity is what you're Mm -hmm, experiencing mm -hmm. when you're in Europe. So that is, I think, one of the issues that we face within the live music sector in particular. One of the things I wanted to just uh, mention to our listeners, you know, Nightlife is a really broad category and it includes many things, like we said, restaurants uh, and bars included. But just to give you a sense of the UK and how the UK looks, it doesn't exactly follow rich, poor lines. It doesn't exactly follow north-south lines. It might be why it's sometimes quite hard to organise around it. So for example, you actually don't have that many options in Birmingham, but you do in Halifax, somewhere that's really rich like High Wycombe. I mean, there's no nightlife there, mate. But it's it's wealthy. It could have it if it wanted. London, there's, technically... I, there's a, I've, I've done stand-up in High Wycombe and there's no... It's not just nightlife, there's no life. <laughs> oh, I'm going to agree there. And but that I will be your like last gig in High Wycombe. You will not be welcome back there One of our clients is from High Wycombe. Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so, okay, fine, it's maybe not north, south, rich, poor, but I think, like you were saying, mm-hmm. you could definitely talk 
talk about it as a youth issue. Like yeah. most people that work in the nightlife industries tend to be on the younger side, um, but it does appeal to all. Michael mm-hmm. Gove himself is a bit of a raver. But I wanted to just talk to you about specifically how you see uh, the opportunities for playing live music. Okay, there's two parts which I would answer that. First off, when you're looking at territories that are easier to put on events, we also have to be aware, again, when we go back to councils, but also policing issues that we have within Mm -hmm, certain areas, mm -hmm. which can fall into many different categories. Like I come from a standpoint and, you know, have experienced not being able to put on events whether they be because it's more of an event that's aligned with black music or black culture. So there's a tremendous, um, another layer that we have to fight through, which is hugely frustrating. I can guarantee if we went and put a license request in to put an event on in High Wycombe that was predominantly black music, you'd probably get rejected, right? So I think that there's things that we have to resolve to do with that, to make it easier. We have got Night Zars in Manchester. We've got one in London. You guys are actually at the front line. Does this position do anything or is this just winning? If you're talking to two people that are fully immersed in this industry and we feel that we probably aren't aware of those people enough, then there's probably a problem somewhere along the line. Just to be as simplistic Mm -hmm. as that. You know, that can come from both sides from Mm -hmm. us. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I think there just needs to be more transparency, Mm -hmm. more evidence to show of the changes. Um, Yeah, and more support, really. I I I think it's all about support. And that's why I think that when we've had the experiences in in Europe, it, it feels supported because it's just, it's almost like it's a whole holistic thing of like how respected and recognised like these institutions are. Like you don't really get people calling clubs and, and festivals like inst- institutions. And whereas like that's how they're really received over there. And it's just like, it's it's a whole like three-dimensional thing from like the people to the government. And it's, it's a whole, yeah, I think it's a very... There's a, there's a consciousness there, it's whereas just, I don't really feel that collective consciousness. Yeah. And I think the North and the South, I, th- I do think that there's a lot of differences as well, because living in Liverpool as well, like there's been so many venues across the last few years that have been so close to shutting. And the people that have ensured that these venues stay open are the are the nighttime people, are the people. It's true, actually. Are the people. Know, yeah. And it's like, we don't have like... Even like if if things were happening in the club that I went to, I found it really hard to like contact our local councillor or just like reach out to like people that are supposed to be there within our community, um, politically as well, that could actually try and help us. Um, and actually it was the, the people um, of yeah. our community that actually got together. And like Hannah said, they marched. Like, I don't know how we went really about... Um, I don't know, sorting things out like in the proper way, like, you know, because it's it wasn't accessible. So we did it ourselves. At the moment, yeah, you can fight, but we're still losing this mm-hmm, battle, basically. Obviously. And that is why we need help mm-hmm. and we need intervention and you need the government to get involved, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, it, we, we've got to wrap up because we've got to let you guys go. But in terms of like, y- you know, practical solutions, we've talked about things like, I mean, holding property developers to account when they haven't noise-proof houses that they're building in these areas, you know, providing actual support and declaring them to be cultural institutions and putting money in as a government because the money that you put in, you get back in terms of the economic contribution of these organisations. But for both of you, is there one specific message you would like to give to policymakers uh, about protecting uh, the nighttime economy? Um, As a DJ, it's just the the luxury of being able to say that my job is to make people dance (laughs) and, you know, basically fill a room and fill a space and bring my sound and the music that motivates and excites me into so many different areas and countries and, you know, different communities as well is a luxury and it is brilliant. And I can see from the other side of the decks, particularly when I've not had a drink and I'm completely sober because if I was on the other side, I probably wouldn't be sober and I'd be (laughs) dancing along. So I have a real... I guess like a way to observe from like a distance of just people really, really enjoying themselves. And from a DJ's perspective, like that's that's all you really want. And again, it sounds cheesy, but I can watch and see people letting their hair down and, and having a good time and being with their friends. And I think what that does to people's self-esteem, their livelihood, like their identity, um, is really, really important. I can't think of any other parallel experience mm-hmm. like that. Exactly. When strangers go into a room mm-hmm. and they enjoy something together, particularly in our very isolated times, especially if you're mm-hmm. young now and so much of your life is behind a screen, mm-hmm. I think it's quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else. Maybe maybe sports? 
No. Well, <laughs> Hannah, anything that you would Hannah. like, a message that you would um, like to get across to policymakers on this subject? I just think to everybody, I think it's about really supporting. And I think looking, you know, whether that be going out and buying a ticket to an independent venue, you know, do the research, do your due diligence, you know, support your communities, I think is hugely important. I think that this is a very important topic that is ongoing. And this isn't me sat here plugging away. I think, you know, we are doing an open town hall meeting, so to speak in fabric on the 31st of August, which is bringing in everybody from all different parts of the industry to talk about this problem and how we tackle against it, you know, and just to kind of end on a more sentimental one, exactly like how you're both saying, you know, a clubbing experience and electronic music and live music is integral to your wealth, your health, your mm-hmm, upbringing, mm-hmm. you know, everything about it is so important. I read this amazing thing recently, maybe Prince said it, but it's like everybody is hurting. And I think like when you go into those spaces, there's somewhat of a healing with it. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that we are losing these spaces is hugely damaging and really sad but there are ways that we can make a difference and come back and Mm -hmm. and I think by supporting in every way you can and that can be through local things like Ladies Music Pub which is a collective that works in this space it could be things like Power Up which is part of a PRS initiative it could be things like coming along to that (coughs) meeting that event which is free that you can come to so yeah that would be my two pence Um, thank you so much for joining us thank you we really appreciate it that was great cheers thanks guys no thank you Geneva emailed in from Seattle to say, I'm a US citizen and I found you through your bonus episode on PSA. And let's just say your phrase, chat shit, get banged, spoke to my soul in a way that no classic elevator pitch ever could. When I started listening, I got hooked, not only on your consistent irreverence towards the various powers that be, but also, let's be honest, the freedom with which you toss around the word vagina. (laughs) It's not every podcast that so casually references lady parts and I, for one, am here for it. End vaginal erasure. <laughs> oh, end vaginal erasure, definitely. Also, it's not just vaginas. Uh, it seems our chat about clean bums also has struck a chord. We spoke about that last week. Andy, one of our listeners from the States, has emailed in and says, hello, I hope this is the strangest email you received today. (laughs) Great start. (laughs) Big start. Immediately a big start. Uh, It's a solution to the clean bum issue discussed on last week's show. I happened to be in London during the 2017 Fatberg incident. Oh, sorry. The Fatberg. I forgot about the Fatberg incident. For non-UK-based listeners, and to be honest, probably for even some UK listeners who were uh, were not based in London, in 2017, uh, they found a huge Fatberg, which was this sort of enormous kind of like uh, like iceberg made of all of the toilet paper and stuff that gets and wipes that get flushed out of toilet that had managed to collect itself into one like super fatberg <laughs> that was just clogging up the London sewage system. And the reason they call it the fatberg is because our sewers are Victorian. They're very old, obviously, but our diets have changed since the Victorian age yeah. and we consume more fat. So all this stuff we were putting down, <laughs> the toilets, the razors, the tampons, the tissues, was getting congealed, congealed in with our, our human yeah. fat. <laughs> God. Um, nonetheless, uh, so the email continues. When I returned home, I started thinking more about the products I was flushing. I found a product called Foam, F-O-H-M, which is sold in the UK. It's a foam dispenser that can be used with toilet paper to ensure a clean bum. I am not sponsored by or affiliated with this company. I am simply just a middle-aged homosexual man who appreciates a clean bum. Uh, the show is amazing and a consistent highlight of my week. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. He goes on to write, I feel I should apologise for waiting to pay the show's team a compliment until I had some advice about cleaning one's underbits. Well, you should, Andy, you should know based on listening to the show that that is what we appreciate more than anything else. <laughs> waiting until somebody talks about wiping your ass to compliment the show is consistent with the spirit of the show. <laughs> We do actually cover serious topics too, though, on this show. It's hard to it's believe. Not, it's not exclusively a genital-based <laughs> podcast. Uh, at the Peter Mullins commented on YouTube about our chat with Grace Blakely on whether it matters that our Prime Minister is richer than the King. Uh, Peter writes, It doesn't matter how wealthy a person is, but whether or not they can empathise, preferably through experience, with the plight that many face day to day. Rishi could never imagine the idea of not having or going without. The man has no idea about having the daily feeling of dread that each day can hold when you do not have enough money to feed or house 
uh, yourself and those around you. I lived like that for 30 years, then married well, like our friend Rishi. And now I have to have opinions on Tory tax policy. But I will never forget what it's like trying to make dry noodles last for several days by skipping meals. I don't mind how much someone has, as long as they're willing, willing to lift everyone else with them. There needs to be better policy because everyone marry a rich person is not an effective means of social mobility. Thank you very much uh, for writing in. Um, well, just before we round up the mailbag, and thanks to everybody for emailing in. We really appreciate it. We love hearing from you. Uh, I just want to quickly uh, draw attention to this message from an American listener uh, whose handle is at TCHNFRQ. I don't know what this person has against vowels, <laughs> but they've gone, they've, ju- it, they've just abandoned them uh, completely. I is guess it, is like, it Technofrack? Te- I think it's probably Technofreak, right? Techno-freak, but anyway, it's T-C-H-N-F-R-Q. Yeah. And they say, <laughs> I consume so much British media. I'm now convinced Britain is just cities filled with Greggs, Nandos and Spoons. Somehow I still want to visit. I'm going to be honest with you, Technofreak, <laughs> you're not far wrong. <laughs> You're absolutely not far wrong. Throw in a few betting shops and a payday loans company and you've got a pretty complete picture of this country. Listen, if you want to get in touch with us about serious issues raised on the show, you can get in touch with us by emailing psuk at reducedlistening.co.uk. We love your messages. We'd also love to hear your voices as well. So why not send us a voice note on WhatsApp? Our number is 07514 644572. Internationally, that's plus 447514. 644572. And if you're new to the show, remember to hit follow on your app and you'll get every new episode every week. And just finally, I know I keep saying it, she's a broken record, but the British Podcast Awards has a public vote. The listener's choice, if you'd like to vote for us, we would very much like it if you did. It's free and easy to do. Just go to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting. Anyone can vote. So again, just go to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting. Okay, it'll take five minutes. Just do it, all right? And finally, while we're begging you to do things, uh, if you live in the United Kingdom, I have a stand-up comedy special that is available from Friday the 25th of August called Your Power, Your Control. It's the film of my last tour that I did in the UK. Uh, So if you live uh, in the United Kingdom or Ireland, I believe you have access to that special. Uh, It's streaming on Sky Comedy uh, and Sky On Demand and Now TV uh, from Friday the 25th of August. It's the day before my birthday. If you want (laughs) to give me a little birthday present, please uh, watch that stand-up show. the UK is a reduced listening production for Cricket Media. Thanks to senior producer Musty Aziz and digital producer Alex Bishop. Additional production assistance was by Annie Keatsthorpe. Video editing was by David Kaplowitz and the music is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Thanks to our engineer David Dargahi. The executive producers are Louise Cotton, Dan Jackson and Madeleine Herringer and thanks to Cricket Media producer Ari Schwartz. Watch us on the Pod Save the World YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter and TikTok where we're at Pod Save the UK or Pod Save the UK on Instagram. That's new, you know. Yeah, we've got, new, we've, got our, we've got our own Instagram now. Pod Save the UK. Yes, be an early adopter. Get on it. I believe that would make you very cool. That's how they speak in tech, isn't it? Uh, hit subscribe for new shows on Thursdays on Spotify, Amazon or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>